welcome to the Eugene Halliday podcast. Every fortnight, we publish a talk from Eugene's collected works. These talks were recorded in Manchester and Liverpool, commencing in the late 1950s up until his death in 1987. This is episode one, God as Projectionist. We're going to talk about God as projectionist. Now, a projectionist ordinarily might be thought to be a man in a cinema, in a box, pointing a projecting device through a small hole to throw a beam of light onto a screen on which will appear, if the machine is correctly threaded, which one we project is not usual for the first half, a picture of some interest, not terribly boring like Japanese film of fossils. Now, if you get the analogy, you will find that it is very exact. First of all, the unseen man, the projector, whom nobody knows is there and to whom all are indebted for his efficiency, mechanical knowledge, and awareness of which end of the film goes in first. When I was a boy, they used to have films that went in not first, end first, but anything, with slight apologies inserted on still signs. But that is a long, long time ago, and we are now terribly efficient. But all the efficiency that man has acquired, he has acquired by studying laws of nature. And laws of nature are projections. Now, you all know, you up-to-date mods that Matter is energy. That is basic physics. Some of you believe that that is true. Some are slightly unsure. But it really is true. It is no longer theoretical. Matter is energy. Energy, and this is not so much in the scientific textbook yet. Energy is sentient. It feels itself. It feels what it does. And what it does is either closing or opening a situation. Now imagine the whole universe's energy. The energy, as the word implies in its etymology, is doing work. The erg, the E-R-G in energy, is a unit of work. You know, Christ says, my father works and I work. The word father means generative power. So when you think about God, you're not thinking about a funny man sitting in the sky somewhere far away. You are thinking about the energy that is generating your being here and now. If that energy were to cease operating now, you would promptly disintegrate. So when you think about God, do not be intimidated by the word, by the weight of religious terminology behind it, by the guilt associated with it, by the sin associated with it. When you hear the word God, just translate generative, intelligent power, wherever it may appear. God is omnipresent means that the universe is entirely energy. There is nowhere where there is not energy. Power at work at a certain rate per sec. 
you measure it in ergs per second. Units of energy measurement per second is power. Now, once you've accepted that power is sentient, which is quite easy to prove in your own being, all you have to do is get hold of yourself, literally, somehow, and exert pressure on yourself, and you will find that whenever you do so, you become more aware of yourself in the part where you're pressing than you were before. For instance, one thing, a friendly, helping force, is gravity that keeps you on your seat. And if you put your mind in your posteriors, you will find pressure. Will you please shift your consciousness and put it uh, to the lower regions and feel the weight of your body sitting on those lovely big muscles that are especially there for sitting on. And you will be aware that you are pressing downwards. A force called gravity is trying to get you to go to the centre of the earth. And luckily for you, you are not able to go to the centre of the earth because the earth is so densely packed that your relatively less densely packed body cannot penetrate the earth. If it could, you would vanish to the centre of the earth and stay there. But this intelligent power has actually condensed itself in the solar system, in the planets, in life forms, minerals, vegetables, animals, humans. They are all workings. Energy. Energy is power at work. Once you allow that this energy is sentient, you can deal with it more effectively. If you think it is not sentient, cannot feel itself, then you can't talk to it. When you have a stiff muscle and you say to the muscle, relax, you will find that if you believe it, your cells in the zone of tension will begin to relax. You can tell yourself to relax, and you will do so in the same way as you can tell yourself to contract, to tense. Usual demonstration, make a fist. Relax your hand. Don't be afraid to do it. Audience participation is not a sign of inferior intelligence. It is a sign of intent to get the message. Don't be afraid to flop about. Feel it. Now, let it relax. And then start paying attention to what I'm talking about for a moment. And then you'll find that if you're paying attention to what I'm saying, relatively your hand will lapse from consciousness. Is that true? Right. When you are relaxed totally, you become totally unaware. That totally unaware condition, hypotension, less tension than needed for maintaining life, produces a very, very sloppy type of person. They do exist. Luckily, of course, they're very rare. Otherwise, very little work would be done. No efficient British railways, etc. Now, you can also take this floppy hand and you can deliberately bring it by increased tension to a fist. Make a fist and hit yourself like that. Now, what happens when you do that? Aren't you aware more that you have a fist and a recipient hand? Will you hit yourself hard on the hand and feel the cells? Can you feel those cells tingling? Are you not therefore more aware that your hand, the struck hand especially, has got more tingling than the other? 
Now, why do you think that the one you struck feels more than the other one? The struck one, you are not so aware of in the cells as you are in the struck. Why is that? The struck was not expecting it. Thank you, Greta. Brilliant wit again. I have to give Greta good marks every time. Being a Sagittarian, of course, you expect intelligence. With apologies to all other signs, of course. Now, when you are passive, and you're dreaming and something goes like that to you suddenly, the struck part is not expecting it and tingles and starts crying and says, injustice exists in the world. But the one that's struck doesn't say injustice. It says, you lazy, lousy, dreamy, drippy thing. You deserve another. See, now my thigh is tingling. Now my thigh is used to that, so it doesn't say injustice. It's got the message. If it says it again, I'll hit it again. We have no right, whatever, to be asleep. You know, Christ says, wake up. He's a very good fellow, and he means what he says. Wake, or you will be treated as the dead. There are the quick, those alert and ready, and they are with them, mingled, more of them than the others. The dead. Dead means inert. Dead means in the groove, routine. Asleep in a process with which the intelligence is identified. Now, these are manifestations of energy. Matter is energy. Please engrave in head, heart and tongue. Matter is energy. Energy is sentient. Sentient energy is spirit. Spirit is initiative. Spirit is initiative. Now, how do you account for the fact that there is inertia if, in fact, all matter is energy, all energy is operation of spirit, and spirit is initiative? It's a very simple solution. Spirit, that is initiative, reposits itself deliberately, like this fist. Let go, fist. Let go, fist. Let go, fist. Think about that very carefully. It's the mystery of Faust, which has two meanings in German, one of which is fist. First, the first thing you do, violence to get your own way. The second thing you do is get bummed by another of the same mind. The third thing you do is think. First you will, then you create a reaction. The reaction, if unpleasant enough, will provoke you to think. Thinking is a direct product of frustrated will. Will is a fiat, a power that says, let there be. And when it says, let there be, then there is, providing one thing. There is no other will about at the time saying about the same, let there be not. Or you say, let there be tiger, and somebody else says in the same place, let there be chameleon. Now, it depends on the strength of will, the power of the will of the contestants. You all know the fairy stories about two magicians who battle. They have a tremendous fight, and one magician identifies himself as a carrot, and the other one becomes a donkey and eats him. Inside the donkey, the carrot changes form, and the donkey gets diarrhea, and the magician emerges at the other end in the form of a salamander. 
or some other such creature. And they keep changing form. And they have this tremendous battle. Who will tire first? The magicians have a rule. The rule is a nice rule. Something's got to give. It doesn't have to be me. That's a very important rule. In a contest of wills, it is entirely a matter of will and of nothing else about who is going to win. So that, in fact, the winner is always the one who persists longest in willing. Now, if we look at the word project, because we're talking about God as projectionist, the ject part is from a Latin word meaning to throw, and the pro means several things. Project means for and before, and also pyro equals rational. When you have a project that you intend to fulfill, you have rationalized, you have made a pattern of events inside your mind, and this pattern of events holding in your mind, you then empower. Again, the rule is very simple. If you have a truth that you love, you will act on it. Have the truth, love it because it's true, activate it because you love it. Make mental note, or even scribble pencil note, legible please. I don't want you saying next week, I've got a note here, I can't read it. Would you mind telling me what it is? The note is simple. Truth, beauty, goodness. Truth is form, intellectual form. Beauty is your feeling. The psychologist calls it their affect. Your degree of like or dislike. And good refers to the will. The word good is the same word as will. Go, go. Truth, beauty, goodness. If it is true, love it. It is beautiful. If it is beautiful, will it. Do it. Now, the man in the projection box is invisible. In the same way, God is invisible. We will now see why God is invisible under ordinary circumstances. God is an infinite, sentient power. Remember, he's not a funny old man far away. He is infinite, sentient power, and that power is a continuum. Now, the essence of a continuum is this. A continuum has no parts. It is not made of separate particles like atoms. It is non-discrete. It is non-broken. It's like a line drawn or a plane painted without a break. Imagine infinite power, a continuum, no breaks, no edges. Now, if it has no edges, you cannot see it. Any dissenters, please? Can you see something that has no edges? No. Have you ever been in a scotch mist? Can you see it? No. What do you see? It's that you don't see that you know it's a scotch mist. It's like a Scottish political debate. It's precisely because there's no sense in this devolution stuff that you don't see it. Because of the blockage, you feel the blockage and you think that's something you've seen. You know, you can actually see a negation when you're in a bad negative mood. You feel that you can see nothing. Life is meaningless. That's only because you're blocked. You're not seeing it. 
you're seeing a negative and not seeing. Now, think very, very clearly about this. The infinite, by definition, is infinite, not finite, but it is also within any finite that there is. Because the infinite is necessarily omnipresent. It is extended infinitely, means that there is nowhere where it is not. That means there is nowhere, whatever, that there is not God, not sentient power. Sentient power is omnipresent. It is here in this room. We are inside it. We are like fish sitting up. Some fish do sit up, you know. And we are in the ocean of power, which is called God. Now, at the top of the hierarchy of the church, they have always known this. I want you to make a sign of Mercury. Do you know how to make a sign of Mercury? Do a semicircle, and then below it a circle, and then a cross. Below the circle. You know the sign? Does anybody not know the sign of Mercury? Semicircle, circle, cross. Right, having drawn this beautiful figure, right, spirit, soul, body. Now, the spirit means free initiative. This is why you have a semicircle with the other part not drawn. Now, the not drawn part of it is the infinite. The drawn lower half of that circle is finite and symbolizes the moon, the crescent moon. If you were to go to the British Museum and dig in the manuscripts there, which, unfortunately, I've never had time, but if you were to go, you would find a drawing of the moon and below it the sun, and then a cross. Now imagine the moon is the sign of spirit, because the moon symbolizes a casket, a container, which is holding the invisible. And of course the moon is feminine. And that feminine is holding an invisible masculine, the infinite spirit. And immediately below the moon, there is the sign of the sun, a circle, with the dot in the middle, is the astronomical mark of the sun. And the mark that signifies the earth is a cross in the circle, in astronomy. As to your physical body, you are pinned, crucified in existence on earth, so that the cross below the circle symbolizes your physicality, the fact that you are pinned, you've got bones there, and you have to deal with them. If you bang them, they can get on a funny bone or a nerve, and you can feel that you are somehow mysteriously exposed because you have a physical body. Physical body, crucifixion. Remember that, because it's tremendously important when we come to consider the meaning of incarnation. Above that cross is a circle symbolizing the soul. Solo. S-O-U-L-S-O-L-O. You are only called a soul if you are solo, if you are able to do, in principle, your own thing. And above the soul, the psyche, is the pneuma, the spirit. But the spirit is only drawn by a semicircle because the other half of it is infinite. Use that symbol and refer to it throughout all the work and thinking that you do. You are spirit, the invisible infinite, you have become ensouled and you have identified with the physical body. 
in the identification with the body, you have opened yourself to a smart kick on the shins. Audience participation, everybody thumps everybody else next to them to illustrate the point. Would you mind doing that? Don't be shy. Just hit your next door. You can use this as an excuse for any kind of sadism, viciousness you like. Blame me, I don't mind. The fellow who is not ready to receive it is asleep and he deserves another. Will you please give anybody another that you suspect of being asleep? Right. I notice that very few people are sufficiently cruel to give another to those who deserve it. In actual fact, we all deserve it. Because most of us are asleep all the time. Luckily, the only thing that keeps me awake is the telephone. <laughs> now, imagine power, absolute, is invisible. This invisible power is God. And they have always known this at the top level of the hierarchy of the church. But they have a very, very good theory. I should try to deal with it euphemistically. Some beings are not fit to receive the truth. Some beings are woolly-minded and are called sheep. And these have to be taken care of by shepherds. I want you to do this semicircle. It refers to spirit. All those who are truly aware that spirit is initiative, like uh, our dear Prince Philip, he's aware of it, Spirit is initiative. You can say anything, whatever, at the party. Such as democracy is a laugh. Anything you like. The newspapers will get hold of it. It will be controversial. The ladies will be thrilled that somebody had the nerve to say something that hadn't been said before. And he will gain millions of adherents. Invisible. Initiative. A few beings with initiative. I'm going to tell you a very, very hard saying. It's about a hard saying. It's a hard saying about a hard saying. St. Paul said, Trevor, what did St. Paul say? Steadfastly affirm the good. Yes. Spend no strength in denying the evil. Right? That's not what I'm thinking about. I was, I was thinking about something quite different actually but it's, it's related to it like everything else is related to everything else I was thinking about St. Paul saying I have a doctrine of strong meat and to the early Christians he calmly said but you are not fit to receive it you are only babes I imagine that the founder of the Pauline church has been called the appalling church by some critics. I have a doctrine of strong meat which you are not fit for, my dear woolly-minded nincompoops. Therefore, I will bottle feed you on lanolin. You know, lanolin is abstracted from sheep wool. Did you know that? Do you think that's kind to get sheep, take their wool, squeeze the oil out, and then bottle feed them with it? I think it's very sensible, don't you? It's economic. You appreciate that, don't you, David? Knowing about business. Anything that's economic is okay. Now, 
a doctrine of strong meat, which some beings call woolly heads, sheep, mouton, or whatever you care to think about them, mutton-headed, are not fit for. Why are they not fit for it? Because it is very frightening. Now, let me see if I can frighten you. If what St. Paul is saying is true, then you have good cause to tremble in your wall. What he's saying is this, you are absolutely, not relatively, absolutely responsible for whatever happens to you, and has happened. It is a statement of total responsibility. Will you please appropriately tremble? If this doctrine is true, you are absolutely responsible for your present position. It is your thought, your feeling, your will that has put you exactly where you are. Now, how does that feel? Is that okay, Greta? Yeah? Strong affirmative noun. Does it pinch a bit somewhere? Yes, it does. It's very hot. It makes you feel pinched. Pinned. Yes. <laughs> I was a little secret behind that one, David. You are responsible. That is liable to be called to account by a superior power who knows that he is responsible. How do you spell it? When you spell it with an able, that means you are merely passive to people above you who can call you to account for your misdemeanors. Huh? So, to say, total responsibility means you can be called to account. And being called to account in Indian philosophy, in Hinduism and in Buddhism, is karma. Karma is a very interesting word, K-A-R-M-A. Take out the R from the middle of it, gives you a word karma, K-A-M-A. Now, karma is the Hindu cupid and refers to your cupidity, your desireful nature. Inserting the letter R in it means to be ruled by it. So karma means to be ruled by your desires. Your desire, your cupidity, will lead you into a situation. And when you get into it, you will be differentiated by the experience to which you have exposed yourself. And this fact, that when you go into a situation, you are acted upon by the situation in which you put yourself, is karma. And this same doctrine is said by St. Paul to be strong meat, not for babies. Because there are a large number of people in the world who, if they really believed that they were responsible for everything they did, they would become totally locked up. They would be terrified of the things they have already done and not yet paid for. Now, this power that is called God, which is infinite, cannot operate other than through its modes of expression. Now, all its modes of expression are, by definition, closures, are they not? Yes? Aren't they? There is the spirit. It is infinite. Is it doing anything? Is it saying anything infinitely? Yes, it is actually. It's doing infinite things infinitely. Very funny. 
It's a bit much, isn't it? How would you like to be endless, infinite, sentient power, doing everything simultaneously, and nobody's of arch and pay? How would you like to give a show, the greatest show, not on earth? The greatest show, with no audience. I reckon that's not economic. Therefore, this great power devised a projection box. Now, the projection box is called cosmos, or the universe. The universe means one term. Cosmos means order. Also, it's Greek for beauty. Beautiful order. Cosmetics are so-called, because they beautify you. I want you to see this. universe in which we live is a great big sphere, and stretching infinitely beyond it, absolutely transcendent of that sphere, and imminent in it, never think it's merely beyond, it is in it as well, is this great power we call God. And this great sphere is his theatre. That theatre, the etymology of the word will tell you, is related to Thea and Theos, the God, and the Torah, the Lord, the Deo, Torah. Now, it tells you the whole universe is a great big theatre. One of the early Greek concepts of this universe was that the sky was a great big dome and it had a lot of holes in it. And through these holes shone lights. And those lights were the stars. Now, it's rather more canny than that. <coughs> Imagine a sphere that is only power, but this power has turned itself to make the sphere, because there is no sphere until the power turns. Unless the power turns, there is infinite power, but no theatre. If the power makes a great big turn, the actuality of turning enspheres and creates what we call cosmic being. Now, the marvellous thing about this is it has perfect acoustics. When you make a vibration inside the sphere, it echoes across the walls and contains what it is saying. This is very important. Because on the outside of the sphere, there is only infinite space. I had a friend, he was drowned during the war, off the coast of Africa, and he had a marvellous bass voice. Unfortunately, too loud for ordinary theatres. Because he got it, practising, at the top of the mast of a training ship, and when he was in the ocean, far from land, he used to go up there and then sing with full volume, so to feel infinite space. And he never noticed how loud he'd got. When he came down and went into the mess with the fellows and began to sing, they used to go like this, go back up the mast. That great sphere is a resonance dome. You know what Socrates said about men that sing in the bath? They think they're so good, they get an agent and have themselves presented in a theatre, ordinary type, acoustics not so good as the bathroom, and they find they're not too good, and they retire. You've all, at least the males of you, have sung loudly in the bath, have you not? Have you not realised that you're a great undiscovered baritone, or bass, or tenor, and wondered why nobody noticed before? But when you come out into the 
daylight in the open air where there's nothing to throw your voice back on you, does it sound so good? Doesn't it get lost in infinite space? Don't you think it's mean of infinite space to do that with you? Swallow your magnificent tones. And this is why the universe is made. In infinity, anything you said vanished. There was nothing to reflect it back. Innumerable worlds were made by that energy before the universe is made as a container. And every time a world is made, it went poing one world, the decibels were reduced, it vanished. And those beings were called in Kabbalah Edomite kings. Edom means no dome, no sphere. You make your statement, I make a world, boing. And it goes, mm, vanishes into sound. And this is not an economic thing. Therefore, this power, remember this power is sentient, is intelligent. It made a big turn, a dome, so that when it said something inside that dome, it's reflected from inside the walls. The resonance maintained what was being said. Now, those of you who have done a bit of physics will know that Chladni figures are figures made by particles. You can do them with sand particles on a plate of glass. You put sand on the glass. You get a violin bow and you draw it over the edge of the bow and it makes a noise. Then it's a certain pitch. You can put your fingers on the glass and damp it and change the pitch. Now, for every pitch of note, there is a geometrical form. Will you please fix that in your heads thoroughly, because it's very important. Sound. S-O-U-N-D. S-O-N-S-U-N. The sun of the sun. The sun that shines in the sky radiates energy towards the earth, and this energy is caught by plants in photosynthesis. It is eaten by animals and man. So that solar energy has become a sun, S-O-N, of the S-U-N, a sun of the sun. And it is a vibratory structure. And its vibration is formed. Cladney figures prove that conclusively. If we play a certain note, and with the particles on the plate glass, it vibrates, it makes a certain geometrical structure. If we change the note, we change the structure. We cannot make a sound without a corresponding form, and if we change the sound, the form vanishes, and if we put the sound back again, the form reappears. In Hindu philosophy, this is expressed, Nama Rupa, N-A-M-A, Nama, that means name, Rupa, R-U-P-A, form. Nama, Rupa, name, form. The name is the sound. The sound you speak. Every sounded projection, every projection of voice is a vibratory pattern. And this has a form. Do you know that if you utter a word, that word put on an oscilloscope is exactly as easy to identify as a fingerprint. You know that no two people use exactly the same vibratory structures. And if you get a voice print of you saying the Lord's Prayer, and another person, or one word of it, 
Another person tries to mimic you, like Yarwood doing Wilson or something. It's okay, not too bad, too bad, and you know who it is he's supposed to be doing. But if you listen carefully, it is quite different. Everybody has a voice print, because everybody is a different vibratory structure. Nama Rupa, the name that you utter, is a formative force. So here we're concerned with name and the sound vibrating and moving power to make form. Now here is our great O, the sphere. Letter O signifies that all-comprehending sphere and the power of infinity hammers on the outside. This hammering on the outside of the sphere by the infinite is represented in Hindu art by a very simple little device. You know the multi-armed god Shiva Shiva himself has got a drum. You seen the drum? Little drum in his hand, shaped like an egg timer. You know it? Shaped like that. Like a Greek letter high. Beginning of Christmas. You hold the drum like that and it has a bit of string at the bottom and you go and it knocks on the drum. It symbolizes the beating of the infinite power on the sphere of being. When that beating occurs, inside the sphere of cosmos, there is vibratory response. And when the forms of the vibrations inside the sphere interfere with each other, everywhere that one force crosses another force, there's a little rotation. What is that rotation? A primary particle. And what is a group of primary particles? an atom, a group of atoms, a molecule, and a group of those, you. You are a group of primary impulses of cosmic sound. Every human being has a name that is a vibratory process going on inside him, and this vibratory process is his very existence. Let that soak into you. Your body is vibrant. Grace said that when she thought about responsibility, she got hotter. Heat is work, and work is heat. What really happened was, at the moment you considered it seriously, that you might be responsible for yourself, you began to work. How can I get out of it? What can I do about it? How can I improve? How can I escape? You see, and this is heat. Now, as Kierkegaard would say, unless you can work this heat out to a tremendous passion... You will not take seriously your own proposition. You have to live terribly passionately in order to live properly at all. You can't live intently without living better than if you live less intently. You have to mean what you say. And you have to feel what you mean. And you have to execute what you feel that you mean. With all the intensity you've got, Magical rule, zero, number two, what is it? Ah, not bad. How many seconds did it take you to find it? Ten, not bad. Totality of self. Will you make a mental note of that, please? Totality of self. If you use yourself totally in something you do, the quality of your act 
is superior to any other act you may do with less than the totality of yourself. You have to mean it. You know, like an average married man in intercourse Friday night with his wife. He's not usually totality of self because he's worrying about Monday morning coming and the unfinished business and the fact that Aunt Florrie is coming to stay with them over the weekend. Now, it is impossible to give an adequate performance if you've got too many things going on simultaneously. Purity of heart is to will one thing. Look at the big sphere. Think of the infinity of power outside hammering on this sphere. And this hammering is the vibratory process that produces inside a universe. And this universe is nothing but power vibrating and intersecting with itself. And the intersections produce rotations. And the rotations make primary particles. And groups of those add up to minerals, vegetables, animals, us. We are vibratory structures. Each one of us is a nama rupa, a sounding form. The human voice, when it is telling the truth about something, has come straight through from infinity, through the sphere, into the very centre of a spinning cluster. Think what a lovely feeling that is. Do you realize that when you tell the truth about anything, even the smallest thing, it is actually God speaking in you? Because if you tell the truth, even the little truth, suppose I look at my fingers like this and I say, you see that one, it's shorter than that one. That's true. See? Is that one shorter than that one? Within the meaning of the term, yes. I give an unqualified yes. My little finger is shorter than my ring finger. That's the truth. And you'll notice that when you say that, you feel okay. But suppose we test you with something else. Instead of something so obvious as that. Do you love your neighbour? Typical. Have you got the same surety? She said yes. And if you say no, most people say, well, I'll do my best, considering what's allowed your neighbour I've got. Yeah. It is easy to talk about abstract ideas. A triangle has three sides. So I can tell you the truth about that with absolute certainty. A triangle, because tri means three, and angle means what it says. A triangle must have three angles. That's the totality. I can be absolutely certain, it's right. Do you know there's a serpent that puts its tail in his mouth and tries to swallow itself? At some point we'll have to stop swallowing. Uh, I say that with absolute surety. And I once saw two snakes dead because they started swallowing each other, a very bad snake habit. But unfortunately, instead of the bigger one getting along by the head and swallowing it, he got it by the tail. At the same moment that that one got the other one by the tail. So they started swallowing. Now snakes have teeth that go like this. They can take in, but they can't disgorge. So they die. Both of them. When I saw them locked together, I thought, isn't logic lovely? If you try to swallow another being by the tail, and you've left the head of that other being free, you better watch your own tail. Keep it out of the way. 
Otherwise, you could finish up double choked. Uh, every time you get a truth like that, you feel remarkably free. Can you feel how free, my dear? Now, here we are with a great big sphere, an infinite power hammering on the outside, to make inside itself a theatre in which it can play. And to make forms, it has to make this thumping sound, vibration. And then all the forms dance about. If you actually get a board and put little particles on it, talcum powder will do, and vibrate it with your massager, the particles will jump up and down. They will dance, because the vibration is making them do so. Would you believe that we are doing the same thing? Would you believe that everything we do is because we are being vibrated by the infinite power which is God? How do you like that? Is that acceptable? Mm-hmm. You all like it? <sighs> it isn't somebody else's, it's God's else's. God is not a body, is he? Yes, first of all. Yes, yes. You're only a bit, but you're a bit made by him. And every creator has the right to do what he likes with his creation. That's right. Because responsible means being liable to be called to account by the man that made it. That's right, of course. No, no, no. You see, now, this is... Ba- Why should he ask a mere creature for permission? That's the whole meaning of it, you see. This is why you have to get in line with God. Good. Now, if you say that, you're improving every moment. Especially if you mean it. (laughs) What actually happened, if you can really affirm it, do you know what happens? You get very quick, like Greta said, she got hotter. I want you to think that what you think is your free ego, your selfhood, is not in any way free at all. It is made as a reference point by a sound structure of the absolute power and it is made to dance up and down and in the process it is struck by others and goes into patterns. Some of the patterns are very pleasant for the absolute to look at and some are not. And if they're not, it moves it about until it makes a good pattern. But because all power is sentient, please make mental note, all power is sentient, when that power comes in and makes a circle, is it not true that that ensphered portion is also sentient? Is it not true that if the whole is a great will, a power of self-initiation, then any local zone of it must also be free to do what it wants? <laughs> Say that again. The continuum is sentient power. It is infinite. It is not made of parts, so any quality that it has anywhere, whatever, within it, that quality is everywhere. Right? We've gone so far, Gerhard. The quality of the absolute is everywhere. Because it is a continuum. 
like you put a, a dye in some water, and the colour goes right through the water, doesn't it? Yes, colours everything. Now, because this original power is self-initiating, when it makes a zone of itself, this zone is self-initiating too. And this zone of self-initiation we call selfhood. It is yourself. So this zone that has been made by the absolute can actually refuse to cooperate. Right? We said, I never said they had no choice in the matter. No, no. I jazzed up and down. I didn't say they had no choice. They are free to like it or dislike it. What? It gives them a great deal because I can like or dislike it. And if I like it, you know what I am? An instrument of the Lord. And if I dislike it, I'm a rotten devil. And I deserve an extra thump. So the whole technique consists in liking what's happened to you, and you then become a favourite. Now, selfhood generally doesn't like to like what's happened to it unless it self-initiates it. Yeah? And we call this egotism with a big T. Crucifixion. <laughs> Any closed system gets hot when it is activated. Heat is work and work is heat. Imagine the sphere. You start as an egg, do you not? That makes you seek. Yes. And the seeking makes the heat. Because it's a work. How do I get out of this pen? Yes? Yes. And like it. That's very hard work. That makes you very hot. And then you become a favourite because you're doing more work than anyone else if you actually like the horrible things that are happening to you. It's a secret trick. See, most people are selfish and they don't like to suffer. Which is very stupid because suffering characterises. Yeah? Is it not true? And if you've got any character in you, anywhere, whatever, is it not true that that character is characterizing. That's suffering. It's a bit of elementary logic. Take a piece of protoplasm, stroke it so that it remains in a perfect surround of pleasure. You can do this, I mean, technically. You can get a mass of protoplasm. Alexis Carell did this for 14 years with a bit of chicken heart. Imagine you get some cells of your body, cut some off, put them in the fluid. Irrigate the fluid to take away the waste products of its activity and feed it. It is now immortal. Then with little electrodes, very gently stimulated. So it's shimmering with perpetual orgasm. Yeah. You know, it will never characterize. If you give it the right stimulus, it'll just be like this. This is a bliss, bliss, bliss. It's in nirvana with itself. How would you like that? How would you like to stay like that? Hmm? No, because constant uniform stimulation is equivalent to no stimulation. Ah, oh, it can't even be bored, can it, poor thing? 
You have a nuticular cap, do you? Have you noticed a funny noise coming out of it? If you want to stop that noise, you stroke it against the grain of its fur. Eh? Otherwise, it will go on purring. How would you like to do that in all eternity? Would you like it? It's a kind of death. And because it's a kind of death, because constant, uniform stimulation is equivalent to no stimulation, therefore the almighty, infinite, absolute, Allah, the all-compassionate, Elohim, God, Brahma, Shiva, Vishnu, whatever name you care to call it, that great power says, give them a joke now, man. Change the tempo, change the rhythm. Have five, four time instead of four, four time. Doesn't wake them up. Syncopatable. Don't count downbeat first to the bars. Miss it. Fool them. Anything that wakes you up is better for you than falling asleep in bliss. From? Or me? No, only those capable of it, dear. What we have to do in this existential world is not worry about whether somebody else is going to do this marvelous thing. Each individual has to say, I will do it. Otherwise, you start being so generous to other people, you will certainly fail to do something new. You know that? You know, if you try to scoop in your best friend, usually it's the husband, of course, and improve him, because you realize the beauty of the true life, there's always a kick against that. Because really, your business is to perfect you. And when you are perfected, offer yourself back. But not before you are ready to offer. We're talking about projection. There's that great big sphere, Thump, thump on the outside, vibration on the inside. Complexities of vibrational structures, minerals, vegetables, animals, humans, us. And the sentience is the same everywhere. So that we can do what it does, except for one thing. We are inside this great sphere. We cannot get out. We can't find our way out without permission, can we? Because that infinite power has got one up on us. Because no matter how tough we are, we are finite. But the infinite, in no sense, is dependent on us. But we are absolutely dependent on it. And yet, mysteriously, that infinite cannot operate except through its own projection. When it beats on the earth wall of that sphere like that, the vibration goes inside the sphere, that's the dispensation for a century at the 18th century is the age of enlightenment and the 19th century is the age of unsplittable atoms and the 20th century is the age of splittable atoms each century has a dominant concept and this concept is a product of this intelligence hitting on the universe and saying think about this one have you done the other one and these energies come in as through points of thumb and they appear in the universe. It's a very funny kind of theatre, like a cinema. You don't even go to that lovely Russian theatre 
where they projected from 11 cameras simultaneously. They had it for a time in London. Where you stand in the middle and you see the Volga flowing around you and you look behind and there it is and you look in front and there it is and they were doing Swan Lake actually. And you were in the middle of it when they did a gallop of Mongolian ponies and mad Tartars rushing about. And you were in the middle of them, weren't you? And it was very amusing because they had no seats in that cinema. It's a new idea. They thought, well, we won't be here too long, we're sure. So we won't both make seating that would make people comfortable. They could have seated people on circular seats that rotated and they could have enjoyed it. As it was, they had to stand up. But in going down the Volga in a fast motor, when they turned like this, everybody who was standing up went like this. <laughs> they didn't know they were doing it. They were correcting themselves so they didn't fall overboard. That was 11 cameras projected across each other like this and there was a circular screen. That's only the beginning. It's an experiment. And it came off very, very well. There were slight inequalities in the camera illuminations, but those things could be overcome. Now imagine another kind in which you are suspended by an anti-gravity force in the middle of a sphere. And there's also a ceiling and the floor. You're in the middle, I mean. That's exactly the position of every individual human being. You are suspended inside a sphere. To give you a sense of security, you're put on an earth, a solid, and held there by gravity. Otherwise you would panic. You know if you're like in the middle of a nightmare? Is it pleasant? Is there much security there? Are you not glad when you wake up and find you've got a, a body to cling to? You haven't got a mummy, you can cling to the bedpost. Something solid in the gross material world. You are factually suspended in infinite space, and this infinite space has projected a great big universe, a dome of sound. And you are looking in all directions, wherever you want to look. And you get the products of the thing you become interested in. When you become interested, your being goes into the thing in which you're interested. You posit your being in it. Now the absolute projectionist is God. And he posits this universe inside this great dome. And you have the same quality that God has, because it is a continuum. You also can make domes and project. And the dome that you make is your life, Amen Andrew. Really believe that. You project your life sphere around you. You choose your friends, you choose your enemies, you choose your indifferences, your pains, your pleasures. You project them and you pay for them. There is no other way, and there is no escape. You have the same power that God has, except you haven't got the whip hand of infinity. Your power, your authority is within your own sphere, not beyond it. If you try to project beyond your own sphere and interfere with the spheres of anyone else, then the all-seeing eye, the big universe itself is a great big eye, and the power of the infinite coming through it, 
is watching you more closely than Big Brother and not through a faulty television screen. It has you and your motivation completely in consciousness. And whatever you do, it moves you about according to its view of your evolutionary needs. But you make your universe, you project it. And you do exactly the same thing. Now you've got a thing here called skull, haven't you? Still there, yeah. And in the Bible it's called Golgotha. Golgotha, the place of the skull. In this skull, Christ is crucified. In every human skull, there is a Christ principle. Crucified in that skull. You. Here is your theatre. It's a funny theatre. You have a theatre here for ideas. You have another theatre here for feelings. And another theatre down here for impulsive behaviour. You turn this thing upside down so that you've got a theatre belonging to the tummy up there. That's called the gods. In an old type theatre. Edwardian theatre. The gods. That's people, poloi. And below that, another theatre, the circle. Bourgeois, successful business folk that stopped the country falling apart. And then right down here, another theatre, the storm. Horse owners. Harris Three theatres in one. In this theatre, you go and you see rational propositions forms of possibility. In this theatre, you feel emotions. You know, we could open this on Oxford Street, couldn't we? Can you imagine a lovely three-stage theatre? And you can go like this. And you can move down. If you want to understand a certain part, emotionally, you go into the middle one. If you want to see the as you go on the base one, which in the old theatre was on the top, the guns. If you want to be intellectually well-informed, See what our mean has done with the latest bishop. Get the news right. Depends on your predilection for conversation. You are a three theatre projection booth. Think about this. Microcosm, the little universe, is human being. Macrocosm, the big universe, is the great big body of God. Inside your skins you have cells. These cells move about and do their functions and they don't know you exist. That's very important. The cells in your liver, your kidneys, your spleen, your pancreas, whatever you've got, they're all concentrating on their work. Very sincere times getting on with the job. They're inside your system. Your body is a great system of thought, of feeling, of will. Coordination, embodying itself. A psychosomatic structure. Spirit, soul, body. All in one being. But the cells in your body, those phagocytes that go about eating bacteria, for which you get the benefit, they don't know you exist. That's terribly important. They don't know you exist. And in exactly the same way, irreligious people don't know that they are inside a big sphere who knows that they exist. But they don't know that that superior power exists. And is getting the benefit of all the work we are doing here on earth. Because we are in the play. That absolute is the supreme watcher 
producer, director. We are the actors. And we have to understand that thoroughly, that we can act apart well or not so well. Think how important that is. We are little universes, microcosms. Inside a big universe, and that our position in relation to the big universe is exactly the same as the position of the cells inside our body to us. Well, we, we have three bodies, a gross physical body, the one you can do this with. Hit yourself hard there. That's your gross physical body. And then say to yourself, but I can also think about hitting myself without doing it. That's your subtle body. And I can also will to do it. Can you feel your will to do it before you do it? Yes. I'm going to hit myself. I'm thinking about it. That subtle body. I'm going to do it. I'm going to empower my hand. I'm going to do it. Right? Can you feel it? Now that power that you can only do that, please. It's very important. Feel the power in your hand before you hit yourself. Don't be mean and don't be scared. Feel that power. Say, I'll hit this head. I'll teach this blooming gross blockhead that I really exist. I am the causal power. Gross, subtle, causal. The gross is this stuff. Same as chair. The subtle is my idea. But I want you to feel the power in it. Feel the power in your hand. Threaten yourself with that power. Then hit yourself. Then threaten yourself again and don't. That's mercy. Yeah? That is the thumper, the causal field of the will. We said the microcosm is like the macrocosm. It is the continuum. The power in the absolute is exactly the same as the power in us, except we are finite, it is infinite. Well, I'm not jealous. I can get on with my business. He has got to get on with his business, namely you lot. You see? I'm not responsible for you lot, am I? I'm only responsible for this lot. And when I think about 3,000 million people mucking about on earth, I'm glad I'm not in his position. I say to him, over to you, God. I willingly accept my miserable lot. Now, it's very peculiar, this, because in the universe... There are governing intelligences. Do you know there's an intelligence that governs the evolution of the Earth and of all the planets and the solar system and everything? And if you get to a certain height, you have a job to do. And do you know there's a dreadful law in the universe? I mean that literally. It makes you feel terrible dread. If you become terribly efficient at something, do you know you are stuck with it because you're efficient? you know that? Even in business... If you become a man of decision, you know, a chairman of the board, etc., 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 you have to uh, make decisions. You know, you're not allowed to give your job up. 
unless you train some mutton head surreptitiously to do your job. You know, I, I think I'll give you an, uh, an extra two quid a week. Give you a sense of importance. And you will rise in responsibility. I will knight you. Later on, you'll be benighted. But I will elevate you, and you will get more and more egotistic, and you'll do more and more work. <laughs> and if you are as clever as I hope you will be, that is, as clever as I am, I can give it up. And you will be eternally grapefruit. Aren't you? Isn't it true? You are not allowed in cosmos to escape your position until you find a substitute that can do it as well as you can. And preferably better. Because then you can go to bed. You can relax for the thousand generations. Yes. That's what we mean by reflection. Do that tension exercise again. Do a neurea from it, you know. You don't throw your hand away, you oppose yourself when you throw it. Tense, oppose yourself. Now when you tense yourself in opposition, do you know if you forget yourself, you shall stop doing it. Swedish drill you can go like this, right? I can talk to you and I forget all about this. I established a motion pattern. I'll do this all night if you like. Uh, I can talk to you like this. This is Swedish, so I don't need any intelligence. and just start the motion and leave it. I'll, I won't get terribly big with this because I'm not concentrating. I, I might get thinner. You know, some people get thinner by exercise, especially if it's fast. If I really wanted to get bigger, I would stop. Go isometric. Hold it, push it, pull it. In six directions. Push it out, pull it in, lift it up, down, back, forward. Do that with an arm. Stretch it out. Try to push it away from you. Pull it in. Don't let yourself pull it away. Now, without letting go of those two, lift it up and press it down simultaneously. Then move it backwards and forwards. Is that arm getting hot? Hold it. Don't give in, you lazy lot. <laughs> yes? You are now more consciously an arm. And you know what you're doing? Filling it with blood. Feeding it. If you do that with one arm, the arm will become a lot bigger than the other arm. And you begin to say, like God said to Job, Hast thou an arm like mine? God is the supreme self-opposer. Now, human beings don't like self-opposition at this stage of evolution. Hmm? But unless you oppose yourself, you cannot get the totality of yourself working. Would you all like to do an exercise when you go to bed at night? Which will guarantee you physical, psychological and spiritual integration. You'll have to do it for 30 seconds only. Because I don't want you dropping dead. It's a terrible exercise. Climb into bed... Lie down full length. You will also do it in the morning before you get out of bed. And what you try to do is you try to press yourself down onto the bed 
all over. You try to pick yourself up all over. You try to move your body to the right, but you oppose it. You try to stretch your body and contract it. Yeah? That's the simple explanation. You try to straighten your feet like that and pull the toes up together. You try to bend the knee and oppose it. You try to pick it up on the hip and oppose it. And you do the same with your arm. You try to pick your head up and oppose it. Move it to the right and the left and oppose it. Stretch it and pull it. Makes you a bit warm. If you do that simple exercise for 30 seconds, you've done as much Swedish exercise as you would have done in an hour. It's very economic. Now, in order to do it, you must concentrate physically, psychologically, spiritually. The moment you don't concentrate, it vanishes. You're not doing the exercise. If you do it, necessarily, you have taken a step towards self-integration. And for 30 seconds in the morning and 30 seconds at night, which is very economic to get such a profit. Now, we're talking about God as projection. I will recap and go away and have a drink. God is the absolute infinite sentient power. And that power, at its own level, prior to creation, is not a thing and there is no thing there to see. It's a tremendous potential of all possibilities of action, of creation, of delights, of joys. So, it wills a big sphere, the universe. And then it thumps that sphere, vibrates it, and from the vibrations come inside intersections of vibratory energies. At each intersection point it spins. Each spin is a primary particle. A group of those, an atom, a group of those, a molecule, a group of those, upwards, minerals, vegetables, animals, humans. The whole thing is a continuum of sentient power. The quality of a continuum is the same throughout, and therefore we can do exactly what that God does, except for one thing. We cannot usurp his infinity. Everything else we can do. Therefore, we can actually oppose, if we will, and say, okay, it's all true, but I dislike you. Or, like Nietzsche would say, it's all true, but I'm going to see what I can get away with. I'm going to experiment and see how much latitude you allow me in a given situation. Now, if a finite selfhood does that unintelligently, it breaks to pieces at the gross physical level. At the psychological level, its ideas are not perfectly integrated and they fall to bits too. At the causal level, it is still a soul, but it is now a soul with a sensation of mystery. Something went wrong somewhere. That soul will try to reincarnate to have another go. And it can be done. You can come back and try again. Unless you go in the sulks. You can actually sulk, you know, if you wish, after death, and say, I'm not going to do it again, I don't like it. And then you remain a sort of sulk centre. Well, God has a use even for those. He puts them in museums, you know. And he lets non-sulkers go to the museum to see them. 
Then that's a selkie. And there are various categories of selkies. It's not a figure of speech. We can please our own being, what we do, but we will pay the price. And every time we move out of a difficult situation because it's unpleasant, we weaken ourselves. We deprive ourselves of a characterizing experience. And therefore, it's better for us if we do not get out of things that are unpleasant, but rather stay in them as much as we can, subject to one law, one only law. This law is nice and kind. Do what you will, except if it destroys the instrument of your experience. The Almighty has set his cannon against self-slaughter. It's very hard to get a human body to incarnate. It's very difficult. There's an infinity of souls trying to get on this globe. Do you know there's not another planet in the solar system where life is possible like we've got? It's only on Earth that this happens. All the conditions of the other planets are not suitable for a human being to exist. On this planet, and this planet only, we can exist. We have the correct distance from the sun and the correct orbital rate and so on. Everything is just right for us to get these experiences. And there are 3,000 million going up a bit. You might have a thousand million. There'll be a limit to it. There's an infinity of souls waiting to get into bodies. Why do you think we have millions of sperms for one baby? Did you ever think about that? To make one baby, you need millions of sperms. Are they not in the race of existence? Just think, every man has got millions of sperm. And a woman is born with about 300,000 eggs in her as a baby girl. Can't you see there's a lot of desire to be embodied there? And it's very difficult. They're trying to get embodied and we're aborting them as fast as we can. It's a terrible fight. Barriers, rubbers and coils and pills and so on. And all these souls who need this experience are trying to get in. And we, out of our own self, are trying to keep them out. So, when you've got a body, which you have now, push that body as far as you can push it to experience things which you would ordinarily, because they are painful or unpleasant, run away from. Push it. Subject to the one law, do not destroy the body of your experience. Because it'll be a long time before you get another one. Thank you for listening to the Eugene Halliday podcast. Please subscribe to receive notifications of future episodes.